no. I'm waiting. <laughs> See, Satan's attacking her already. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Cheryl, take that too. All right. So here's where we are. Last week, we're talking about Jesus and women in the Bible. So some of you, this is your first week, and we are so glad that you're here. Um, but what we were doing last week is we were talking through Luke chapter 10. We were talking about Mary and Martha and when they invited Jesus into their home. And Martha got real busy and distracted and Mary chose the necessary thing and she sat at his feet. So we talked about that. And then I, I don't know if you remember, but I said, and we're going to talk about them at greater length next week. Well, guess what? That was a lie. We are not. As I started studying, I just was praying on Monday morning, and God just totally redirected. So it's a different lesson, a different woman. But I'm excited to talk about her with you today. So let me pray for us, and we'll jump right in. Father, we just thank you for your presence here today. You tell us in your word that when two or more are gathered in your name, you're among us. So we don't even need to ask. We just need to thank you for it. And so, Lord, I pray today, as we walk in this room, Lord, you know exactly what we need to hear from you. Lord, you know what it is that you need to enlighten us about. You know what it is we need to be reminded about in regard to your character. Lord, we need to, you, you know what we need to know about ourselves. You know how we need to be freed. You know everything. And so I'm asking that you would be unhindered today and that you would move powerfully in this room. Only you can do it, and you delight to do it. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we are in John chapter 8 this morning, this afternoon, wherever we are. John chapter 8, and we're going to look at a woman that upon initial, invita- upon initial introduction, when you first meet her, you might think to yourselves, I don't really relate to her. But you do. But I do. We all do. Some of us go, oh man, I've been there. I can totally relate to her. If so, you don't need to stand up and tell us about it today. But um, you can tell us another time. But anyway, we're John chapter 8, verse 1. As we walk through this, I want you to identify with the woman that we're going to talk about, but I also want you to to watch very closely as Jesus interacts with her because the hero of the story is Christ. And I want you to watch at the way he turns culture on its head and the way he responds to her in a way that nobody thinks he won will or should. Will or should respond to her that way. And so let's jump in. Verse 1, it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, in Jerusalem, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, that means church essentially, where all the people had gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Don't let that be lost on you for just a second. Everything Jesus did was communicating that he was the Messiah. And only a king of kings would sit down. You know, right now it says Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. When you sit down like that, you're, you're saying, I have authority I'm a king. And so when he sits down to teach them, don't let that be lost. He knows what he's doing, and he's communicating something even non-verbally. So he sits down and starts to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Now, who are they? The teachers of the law and the law, meaning the Jewish law that Moses uh, handed down as he'd been handed from God. So the law and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. That's who we're talking about here. So really, let me just... um, Make this more common, we're talking about church folk. We're talking about spiritual leaders and teachers and keepers of the law. Those are the ones that we're dealing with, okay? So the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. 
Another translation will say she was caught in the very act of adultery. And now listen to what they did. They made her stand before the group. Take that in for a minute. Don't let that be lost on you. So Jesus is sitting down in church in the temple and he's teaching and there's a large crowd that's gathered around him now. His following has become bigger and bigger. So so this isn't like uh, five or six people. This isn't small group discussion time. This is a large group that he's teaching. And the church folk, if you will, (laughs) the leaders bring in a woman caught in the very act of adultery. I don't even know if she's clothed. And they make her stand in front of the crowd. Another translation says they put her in front of them. So think about that for just a minute because I've never been caught in the act of adultery. I've never been brought in front of a crowd for that very reason. But let me tell you how I can relate to her and how you and all of us can relate to her. Is that she is experiencing our greatest fear. She's experiencing our greatest fear. You might think that your greatest fear is that something might happen to your loved ones or to you, but really, your greatest fear and my greatest fear is exposure. It's shame. If they really knew who I was, if they really saw this, if that was really discovered, if my thoughts just in the last five minutes were displayed, if that, I'd be humiliated. Total humiliation. Why do I say that with such authority? Well, let me, I want to take you back um, for just a minute and tell you where this comes from. She is exposed in front of all these men. I, I don't know that there are women and children there at this time because typically women were not allowed to come into the, inside the temple courts to receive teaching, and so, so, which is even more humiliating that it's just a bunch of men and she's brought in um, by these Uh, religious leaders of the day and put before them and said this woman's been caught in the very act of adultery that's exposure and humiliation at a level that I don't know but it sickens me to even think about it now where where do we find this as our greatest fear I want to take you back and I've not written this passage on your I've not printed it out for you, so I want you to just listen to me because it won't take long. I'm going to take us back to Genesis 3 after Eve has eaten the fruit, right before she eats the fruit, but we're going to walk through it very quickly. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made, and one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not even eat that fruit or touch it or you're going to die. And the serpent, and God said, she says that that's what God says. Don't eat it or you will die. And then the serpent says, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. It's not that big a deal is basically what he's saying to her. Verse 5 says, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, this is a whole other message. We're not going to camp out there. But it says, then the woman was convinced. Remember, I've said to you many times, he's a deceiver and an accuser. Deceiver first. So he's deceived this woman. She was convinced. So she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it had to give her. So she took some and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who's with her. He ate it too. 
Here's where it gets good in verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were open, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. Okay, see, in Genesis 2.25, God has made man and woman. He's blessed them. He's put them in the garden. He's fellowshipping with them, and it says in 2.25, and the man and woman were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, he doesn't just mean physical nakedness. He means completely exposed. This is who I am. This is, this is me. This is everything about me. And I feel no shame. No shame. That's the way God intended for us to walk in freedom. To walk in freedom not worried about what you're going to think about me. To walk in freedom knowing that I am loved unconditionally. I'm totally accepted. I'm made exactly the way I'm supposed to be made. God loves me. And so I don't have to fear the rejection of others. The very first result of the fall was shame. Shame. So the man and woman felt shame because they realized they were naked. So what they do? They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So what did they do? They hid from the Lord. They hid. So they feel shame. They begin to cover up, and then they hide. And we've been doing it ever since. We feel shame, we cover up, and we hide. And the Lord replies, I heard you walking in the garden. Oh, then the Lord says to them, he called to the man, where are you? He knows where they are, but he's inviting them back into relationship. He's inviting them to come out of hiding. Where are you? And the man replies, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. You see what happens? And then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? What well, was the serpent that deceived me? She replied, and that's why I ate it. So here's what happens. We believe the lie that God's holding out on us, that he might not be trustworthy, that he might not have our best interest in mind. And so we step outside of his plan for us and we do whatever it is we do and we feel shame. And we feel shame. And that's the way we lived ever since. And so we were born into this state of being. When, when, when the fall occurred, when the fruit was eaten and shame entered the world, guess what? You were born into it. And so we're hardwired. We are hardwired to cover up hide and resist exposure at all costs. And so when this woman is brought in front of all of these men, regardless of why, and she's exposed, she's experiencing our greatest fear. Our greatest fear is that we will be found out. Found out about what? I don't know. You fill in your blank. You fill in your blank. And it's interesting, as I've been praying and thinking about this passage, I thought from that moment on, we have been image managers. We manage our image at all costs. How do we do that? How do we do it? Well, some of us do it with humor. We're just going to be really, really funny. Because if I'm really funny, then what I'm not going to be exposed for is the fact that I'm really lonely, that I'm really insecure, that I'm really sad. Okay, so not everyone that says a joke, you know what I mean. 
Some of us, how do we manage our image? Well, we just we want to make sure that we live in the right area of town, that we drive the right car, that our kids are dressed this way, that we carry this kind of purse, that we just image just materially, we cover up materially. And all the while, we pray to God that no one knows what's going on inside our home, that our marriage is so strained, that our bank account is upside down, that we're not sleeping at night because we're ridden with anxiety. But man, we are shiny on the outside. Some of us tend to manage our image with just being that woman that's got it going on. We've got it figured out. We are the woman that's in control. And so we've got your answer. We are really good at organizing. We are great about we're always appropriate. We say the bright thing. But internally, we're insecure just like a 13-year-old. Do you know what I mean? And so those are just some examples that are coming to me. But you know what it is that you are ashamed of. And this is the, the sick part about it, is that so whether it's some rebellious act that you're caught in, maybe you're caught in addiction, whatever it is, is the Lord is not about that shame at all. That is coming from the enemy. That's, and he knew. He knew all along. He knew when he said, here's the reason God doesn't want you to do that. Because, see, God's threatened. God can't handle it if you're like him. And so he said that because of the... And, and so the whole time the enemy is setting her up because he knows if I can get them to hide and sow fig leaves and be ashamed, they're going to be ineffective. They're going to be ineffective. How many of you have said no because I'm not worthy to do that? I can't imagine that God would ask me to do that. Some of us say no and sabotage our own happiness because of shame. And so what this woman is experiencing is it's like it's all out on the table. It's all out. Here are all my cracks. Here are all my issues. They're all right there, right there. It, it, It literally can make me sick when I think about what that had to have been like for her. Can you imagine? And I thought maybe she was just so horrified, but maybe she was so beaten down that she's just numb and she doesn't even feel it anymore. She's like, I don't know, but I'm going to meet her one day in heaven. And I'm telling you, she won't be the same person because I want you to watch and see how the Savior of the world interacted with her. All right. So she's experiencing this in verse 4. They said to Jesus, so the, the leaders, the religious leaders brought her in, and they said, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law that Moses commanded us, he commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what is it that you say? Now, these men were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. This is what gets even sicker about the story, is that these men, these religious leaders, it's not even about the woman and her adultery. They don't even care about her. She's literally a pawn. Their agenda is to trap Jesus, who is now being identified as the Messiah, the Son of God. He's claiming to be deity. He's healing people. He's healing people that have never been healed before, like a leper. He is um, forgiving sins. Only God can forgive sins. And so they're trying to trap him. And so this woman matters nothing to them. They're not even concerned. She, they're literally using her. You've been used before in your life. 
Maybe to that degree, maybe not, but you know what that feels like. They don't even care about her. They've probably forgotten what, what it is she even did. They're just using her as a trap. Now, what um, might you expect Jesus to do? Now, we've heard enough about him, but I can tell you what he did in response is not what they had hoped he would do and certainly not what they expected that he would do. So Jesus bends down and he starts to write on the ground with his finger. Why would he do that? Nowhere in Scripture does it tell us what he was writing. So therefore we can conclude that that's not a critical part of the story, that what he wrote is not really the issue. So why is it that he's bending down to the ground? Why? Why, why do you think he might have done that? Yeah, I think, I think by doing so, he's taking their eyes off of her. So what's he doing? He is restoring dignity to this woman. He is beginning the restoration process, and he's not even said a word to her yet. He is beginning the healing by not even speaking to her yet. He simply bends down and starts to write. Listen, if you want to know if you've experienced the love of Jesus, it will always bring dignity with it. When I'm loving other, when God calls me to serve and love other people, I need to always be in mind, keep in mind, I need to restore dignity to them. And so if you go on a mission trip or if you interact with those that are marginalized and you treat them like a project or like, a, don't speak to them with condescension of like, how are you today? Hey, poor person, here's some flip-flops. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Christians are really bad about that at times, I have to say, because I've been there. No, look them in the eye, speak to them like an adult, have a conversation, restore, extend dignity. Extend dignity, that's what we so long for. And that's what Jesus is doing, simply by bending down and writing in the ground. Some scholars debate over that maybe he was writing this, maybe he was writing this, but we don't know what he was writing, and it doesn't matter. If it mattered, he would have told us. He would have told us. And so he straightens up. So when they, so he's bent down. He's writing with his finger. And they keep on questioning him. And he straightened up. And he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Let any one of you who's without sin be the first to, to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down and started writing again. He got the eyes back off of her. I love him. I love him. Listen, this is the God that we serve. He has come into a culture who hated women and stoned those caught in adultery. Stoned them. Now, by writing on the ground, well, we'll get to that in a second. But, but he's writing on the ground, and then he stands up and says, Let any of you... Let any of you without sin, you go ahead and throw that stone. Pick it up and throw it. You're justified to throw it. Now, what's interesting about this is that the Lord, oftentimes through Scripture, when you'll say Jesus saw the crowd or you'll see Jesus saw all the people or Jesus saw them in, uh, typically when it's translated, it's translated not just he physically saw them, but he perceived them. So I'm believing and trusting that when Jesus says this, he already knows the response because that's a risky thing to say. I'm like, Lord, these people are so out of touch with their own brokenness. They're so full of pride. They're going to pick up a stone. They're going to hit her. They're going to hit her. I would think at some point Jesus would have stood in front of her and said, you know, to somehow protect her. But he already knows. He's got this thing. 
He already knows. And he says, let any one of you cast the first stone. And at this, this is only a move of the Holy Spirit that can break hearts and that can can, um, enlighten us to our own sin. But it says, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. Now, you think that's because they have wisdom or they just had a lot longer to mess up. (laughs) Maybe it's both. I don't know. The older ones first until only Jesus was left. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. God bless that woman. I mean, I can't even, I just can't imagine. I pray to God they had a sheet around her. But just that she's standing there. And what do you think she thinks he's going to say to her? You know, yeah. And and the reason we can say that so quickly is because we think that's what he's going to say to us. You do. I do. We do. That's why we continue to do this. We continue to do this. That's why I've said this so many times. So often our prayers are, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What is that? That's this. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. Because if you really saw me, you'd be disgusted. You'd be repulsed. You'd be at least disappointed. And if I'm still living in that mindset, I'm not living under the freedom the cross has provided for me. Let us come boldly to the throne. Why? Because we've been sprinkled by the blood. It cost him everything to give me the freedom to walk without shame. He paid for my shame at the cross. Oftentimes we think, well, he paid for all the things I did. And we keep it about behavior. No, 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 no. Yes, that's true. Past, present, and future behavior. Sins, plural, but he paid for sin. The condition I was born into. The shame that comes as a result. He paid for that. So listen, you can come up and go, Laura, I remember what you were like in high school. I can tell you. There's things you could tell me about me, and you don't even know the half of it, I'm sure. Let's dig a little deeper. And here's the thing. It's not that sin doesn't matter anymore, but I have tasted forgiveness. I've tasted the conviction of my sin. I've I've tasted what it means to go, Lord, I have made a mess of my life. I am that woman. I am that woman. I am the prideful Pharisee. I am that Christian that judges others. I am all of those things. And Lord, I have been covered. I have received your forgiveness, and so I can walk in freedom. I was just talking to a friend of mine about when God called me into teaching. I thought, Lord, the only way I can do this is if I can be as authentic as possible. Because it does not serve you well for me to come up and present and hide and present an image that's not really going on. Listen, we're all in this together. I'm as big a mess as you are. But I can tell you this. I have tasted what it feels like for the blood to trickle down on over my soul. I know that firsthand. I know what it feels like to stand there and go, Oh my goodness, I'm exposed before the Lord. How is He going to respond to me? How is He going to react to me? I knew better. I knew better. How is he going to respond to me? So she stands there. And Jesus, this is what I, uh, I love the way he responds to her. Until no one was left and the woman standing there and Jesus straightened up. He looks at her and he asks her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. I love this because it says, the neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. It's a statement. 
then neither do I condemn you. How can he say that? Because he paid for that condemnation already. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, now listen to what he says. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. Do you notice the order of things that have happened? First order is that she's exposed. She's threatened to be humiliated for the rest of her life. And how does she receive Jesus? She receives empathy from him. She receives compassion, protection, dignity. She's had a real encounter with the Lord. And then he says, I don't condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. You see, Christians... The Pharisees, the religious leaders, you and me, the church of our day to day, we flip it and we go, okay, leave your life of sin and then you can come in and I won't condemn you. Okay, wait, leave your life of sin first and then you're welcome at the table. Clean yourself up and then you can come on in and have fellowship with Jesus. And he's like, let me, we've got it all wrong. We've got it all wrong because if we could have left our life of sin, we would have done it. We wouldn't have needed the cross. We wouldn't have needed the cross. But now she's had a real interaction with the Lord. She has been touched by the love of Christ that's all her own. He has touched her and had an encounter with her that's personal, that's real, that's authentic. Now go leave your life of sin. Why is he saying that? Because he's so concerned. Yeah, sin matters. It took him to the cross. But he's saying it because what he's really saying is go walk in freedom. You don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to do that anymore. So what he's doing is he's calling her up and out of a life that's killing her to a life of freedom. And now she can do it because she's been empowered by God himself. By God himself. God doesn't look at you and say leave that addiction. Straighten up that marriage. You better straighten up those kids. You better, whatever, get your finances straight and then then we can talk. He's saying, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Come. Come. Anyone's welcome at the table. Anyone. So what does that mean for us today? It means you're welcome at the table. So if you came in today and you're carrying a weight of shame that is beating you down, let it go. But at the same time, I want to challenge us. We need to step foot in the Pharisees' shoes. And before we go, those bad Pharisees like I've done today, relate with them for just a second. Because we're them too. I'm them. Where I've gone, I cannot believe her. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, for a lot of us, it's really easy to receive grace and it's really difficult to hand it out. For those who have received, much is required. And so what that means for us as believers, we love them all. We love them all. You can extend grace and love and mercy without having to condone sin. Jesus did it. Watch his life. Never once he said, that's okay. That's okay that you did that. I'm not mad about that. Go and leave your life of sin. But let me tell you something. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are made right in my eyes because of the blood shed at the cross. Every single one of the religious leaders had to turn and walk away in shame. And there have been times I have been convicted to my core 
and I've had to turn and walk away in shame because I've been the one holding the stone. Holding the stone. Listen, if there is anything that I pray about this group of women, one, that you know that woman, that you know what she's experienced, that you've experienced Christ at that level, that you can now leave with having an authentic connection with Him, that He sees you, that He loves you, that He's freed you, and then two, that you will be a woman that extends that back out. Oh my goodness, I pray that we're never one of those big women's groups that are, not that it's all just women's group, but just a group of people that just like to lunch. There's nothing wrong with lunching, but God's doing a lot more. There's something else going on here. And my prayer is that there's, um, there is life in this room, and it is attractive. And that's why we're growing. That's why we're growing. Because anywhere Jesus was and the Spirit was, growth will happen. And so we're not about numbers. We're not about how big can we get this thing. No, we're about, Lord, your Spirit, if your Spirit's not working, shut it down. Shut it down. Because, listen, I'm not going to be that funny after a couple times you've been here if you're just coming to hear me. I just won't. Some of you are already tired of the same story. But here's the thing. If the Spirit is present in this room, and I believe that He is, your heart's going to be penetrated, and you're going to leave having had a connection with Him that causes you to, to one, rise up and walk differently, and, two, you're going to extend grace out in ways that you didn't know possible. You're going to be sweeter to your man at home. That woman at work, that coworker, you're going to interact differently. We've had, in my area of town, a pastor was just released from his position for some things that, that were not right going on. And I'm telling you, it's been amazing to watch how the Christian community has dealt with it. Not, not, not well, in my opinion. And I ran into them. Um, and I grabbed that sweet wife, and I looked at her, and I said, you're going to get through this. You're going to get through I don't. I don't care if everything they said about him is true. I don't, it just doesn't matter to me. Because here's the thing. The Lord loves them. The Lord's got plans for them. And let me tell you, pick up a stone if you think you haven't made some mistakes. Pick it up. You'll be amazed at how heavy that is in your hand. And so take the risk and love somebody that ever, there's a, a gal in our town. I grew up in a small town. I, this town that I live in is a small town. I moved in as an adult, but people have grown up there their whole lives and they know everything about everybody. And one of the things that interests me is, is people oftentimes will view people as they were in high school. You know, we still do that. When I go home to Denton, you know, it's, but it's interesting, there's a, a girl that I'm getting to know, and, and I, apparently her reputation wasn't sterling in high school. Welcome, you know. But it's interesting because it's like, you know what? I'm going to be friends with her. I'm going to be friends with her. Who are the Zacchaeuses, the, woman's, the women caught in adultery, the women at the well? They're you, A, and then start looking around you and start, start walking alongside men and women that everyone else has cast out. Extend the grace at your own risk of your own. Just stop worrying about your reputation. You don't have to extend. Extending grace and love and mercy that you've received from Jesus does not put a stamp of approval on sin. That's not what that means. But oftentimes it becomes this us versus them, and we'll pick it before we'll love them. Jesus flipped it on its head. 
Let's walk in his footsteps. Receive what he has for you today. Some of us need to be freed today. Whatever it is that you continue to play over and over in your head, that shameful thing, that thing that if we're exposed would just freak you out. That thing, take that to the cross. Take it to the cross. And then some of us have friends that we've not been good friends to. They're not even friends yet, and they need to be. They need to call. You need to repent and call. Let's have lunch. What is God saying to you today? My prayer for all of us is that we'll have courage to receive from Him and courage to extend from Him. Jesus, we thank You for who You are. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You that You are a God that is so surprising. Your gospel is not the law. It's just not the do's and the don'ts. Lord, it's freedom. It's peace. It's healing. It's reconciliation. It's forgiveness. And I pray that one, first and foremost, we would be women that would connect to that on a gut level, a real basis, that we would have the authentic connection with you that this woman had. And then secondly, that we would love others well, that we'd love them well with the love that we receive from you. Lord, may we never be those Pharisees, Lord, and forgive us because we are too often. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, ladies. We'll see you next week.